Welcome to the podcast for 1715, Looking at the Past, with Dr. Aaron Morton in the Department of History at the University of New Brunswick. Decolonization is not a metaphor. We begin this podcast with this statement, which comes from scholars Dr. Eve Tuck and Dr. K. Wayne Yang. Dr. Tuck is Associate Professor of Critical Race and Indigenous Studies at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. She is an enrolled member of the Alouette community of St. Paul Island, Alaska. Dr. Wayne Yang is Professor and Provost of John Muir College at the University of San Diego, where he teaches in the Critical Ethnic Studies program. If there is one sentence I would like you to think about in this course, it is this one. Decolonization is not a metaphor. Write it down, consider it, and think about what it might mean. You may not understand it for now, and that's okay. If that's the case, I'm simply asking you to consider it and to put it in your back pocket for later. We'll come back to it. Here is what Tuck and Yang say about their now famous statement from their 2012 article of the same title. And I'm quoting, our goal is to remind readers what is unsettling about decolonization. And with this quotation and with the statement, decolonization is not a metaphor, we're going to begin by thinking about what this statement might mean for us here in the territory of the Wollastogui and what settlers now call Fredericton. How does this statement relate, for example, to treaty agreements that took place here? between the Wabanaki Confederacy nations and the British beginning in 1725? That's another question to think about and one that we'll come back to. But for now, here are some points that you may want to write down for yourselves and also potentially add to the course notes that you'll be using throughout the term. Decolonization is not a metaphor. Decolonizing the Americas means the repatriation of indigenous land and life and that all settlers become landless and this I'm taking from Tuck and Yang directly. What does this mean for us here today in Fredericton under the terms of the Peace and Friendship Treaties of 1725 and 1779? So I'd like to start this podcast with these questions, but I also want to consider what this course is about with those statements and questions in mind. As you may know, this course is called Looking at the Past, and what that means is that the course is a way to think about what the past can mean to different people from different points of view. I want to suggest that looking at things is neither a neutral or a universal activity or experience. You can write that down as well and I'll say it again. Looking is not a universal activity or experience. There are a couple of reasons for this. The first has to do with disability and the practices of looking that the sighted, meaning those of us who are not blind, take for granted as natural as an experience that everyone shares. Georgina Kliga, a scholar on blindness and visual culture, has written, and I'm quoting her here, that the blind grow up, attend school, and lead adult lives among sighted people. The language that we speak, the literature that we read, and the architecture that we inhabit were all designed by and for the sighted, end quote. So I want this class to first start with this premise, the standard idea that everyone sees something the same way, which we know from Kliga's statement here is based on certain sets of ableist assumptions. 
What we know from Kliega's work is that what she calls visual phenomenon, and again, I'm quoting her here, things such as perspective, reflection, refraction color, and form recognition, as well as visual aids and enhancements such as mirrors, lenses, telescopes, and microscopes are not neutral. Moreover, what this research tells us is that the blind use various methods of understanding visual phenomenon, just as the sighted do. Kliega draws on a very famous piece of writing from Denis Diderot from 1749, entitled Letter on the Blind for the Use of Those Who See, which Kliega and other critical disability scholars credit with helping to spur more humane treatment of the blind during the 18th century in Europe. As Diderot quotes the words of a blind man in his community, who states, if it were not for curiosity, I would just as soon have long arms. It seems to me my hands would tell me more of what goes in the moon than your eyes of your telescope, end quote. I want us to take a minute to think about this statement. It seems to me that my hands would tell me more of what goes on in the moon than your eyes of your telescopes. I want us to think about what it might mean to try and think about how as individuals we look at something or see something, by which I mean you or me as one person, or how as a collective we might look at something or see something, by which I mean me, you, everyone taking this course, everyone in our immediate community here in Wollastogui territory, and how those observations might be different based on our experience in the world based on who we are as people, and based on individual and collective histories. A collective, of course, might be geographical. It might be based in a neighborhood or a community or a town in a city. Our community might be based on embodied experiences, meaning that some of us are sighted and some of us are blind. And this is just one way to think about how collectivities get formed. In this case, though, a shared embodied experience of being sighted or being blind is what Kliga is drawing on. This is something that you can also write down, this question of the individual versus the collective. And I also want to frame this as a question. What does it mean to have something in common? What does it mean to see something alongside something else in a way that is the same or in a way that is different? I want to come back to an example which I started the podcast with. And these are the Peace and Friendship Treaties that began in this territory in 1725. I want us to think about what these treaties might mean when we think about our individual and our collective ways of knowing and seeing. And by this, I mean both individual ways of knowing, so you as an individual who exists in the world and has your own embodied experiences that you draw upon, and also communal or collective ways of knowing, by which I mean you as an individual who grew up in a particular part of the world, speaking one or more specific languages, being raised in the type of family or community that you were raised in, and understanding the world partially through that experience and through that lens. And so the reason I'm bringing up the Peace and Friendship Treaties is not simply because they are the originary documents that govern this territory and that govern the terms of peace and friendship that we are all supposed to abide by on this land, It's also because they provide a really good example for what Diderot was talking about in his quotation from The Man Who Is Blind about feeling the moon with your long arms versus looking at it from a distance with your telescope. There is more than one way to read a historical document. There is more than one way to interpret the words that something like a treaty document might mean. And we see this all the time in the Supreme Court of Canada 
We see this very recently in Mi'kmaqi territory in the conflict between settler fishers and Mi'kmaq treaty protectors and enforcers. So if you're living in this territory, these historical documents that are hundreds of years old really do have real life impact from the past into the present. So I just want to leave you with those few thoughts on the treaty documents. And I want to just conclude by going back to Tuck and Yang's phrase, decolonization is not a metaphor. And to think about what decolonization might mean in terms of repatriating Indigenous lands and life in this territory. I want to say thank you to the students who have listened to the first podcast from the course. I'm really appreciative of your time and of your attention, especially in a global worldwide pandemic where I know that it is difficult to undertake coursework, it is difficult to focus, and it is difficult to find time to undertake these small tasks. I hope that what I provided is interesting and that it keeps your attention, but I'm always open to class feedback on the topics that I cover. So thank you everybody for your time and for your energy.